0: You teach the young about farming in the countryside well you could read a magazine
1: it's light-hearted it's fun you know i want them to enjoy what they're looking at and what they're reading
0: and as we reach the end of another sugar beet campaign how's it turned out
2: we're estimating the final yield of uh, around 23.2 tons a hectare Uh, and sugar content will
0: be about 16.3%. Plus, Sean Sparling's here with Agronomy Advice and Kit Dickinson from Openfield with a review of the markets. And later, we'll see what the weather holds in store for us this week. The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you're OK. Hope you've had a good week on the farm. In the news this week, more than 2,000 farmers have joined an online platform enabling them to increase returns from their beef enterprises. It's called Breeder, B R W E D R, and it includes the UK's first long-term minimum price contract, which guarantees a secure return for farmers 24 months in advance. Full details are available online at breeder co, and we'll have more on this on next week's farming programme. There is a likelihood due to a lack of parliamentary time to amend legislation that the AHDB horticulture levy may continue for another year, despite the recent vote against the compulsory levy. As such, growers could still be charged for 2021-22. And the number of farmers applying for permits allowing the temporary use of land to keep livestock has surged. This is due to the backlog of pigs awaiting slaughter, which remains in the tens of thousands due to Brexit, Covid and staff shortages at abattoirs. And with grazing season approaching, things will only get worse. The Animal and Plant Health Agency is advising us to expect delays and requests that applications are emailed to temporarylandapha.gov.uk. The fax system isn't working, apparently. Temporarylandapha.gov.uk. Now, we've spoken before about the various ways tried to educate and interest our young on the ways of the countryside and the journey our food takes from farm to fork. Now we can add a new magazine, just launched, aimed directly at youngsters. It's called Youngstock, and it's the idea of farmer Emma Smith, who joins us now. Emma, thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Before we talk about the magazine, give me a little bit of background about you, because you are a farmer yourself, aren't you?
1: Yes, so we've got Pedigree Herefords, Red Ruby Devons and Beef Shorthorns. We farm roughly 100 acres on a tenanted farm and we also have a foot trimming business. So between myself and my partner, we're quite busy.
0: Yes, I would imagine you would be. You're launching this new magazine aimed at younger people in the, uh, the countryside and in the farming world called Young Stock. What's the thinking behind the magazine?
1: I just really wanted to connect with our younger audience Um, i do think as an industry we're very good at encouraging our youth but um, i recently completed a master's degree in children's publishing and very quickly realized that there was a gap in the market for um, a magazine of this kind and so i just really want to connect our children to food production farming, nature, countryside, but I also want to encourage reluctant readers to actually enjoy what they're reading.
0: Most of the the trade magazines, uh, the farming magazines, are aimed at farmers, existing farmers, with some talk about education and apprenticeships and training and things like that. But you're aiming at what age group?
1: So we're aiming at age 7 to 11, um but we have a dedicated page called the young stock yearlings which is for children under seven but i don't want to be too specific so you know if a five-year-old is really keen and obviously enjoys reading then that's really good Um, and equally if a 13 year old is interested in in the content that we're providing that's really good as well but uh, yeah the age range really is seven to eleven
0: what about the parents are they figuring in this well
1: (laughs) i've been very overwhelmed with the response that i've had and one message from um, a 40 year old lady said that she took the magazine to the bath and read it from cover to cover and she thoroughly enjoyed it so without the parents you know it wouldn't happen really and we we have set tasks for the children to do and we have a a recipe each month for the children to follow and obviously they can't do that without their parents or guardians help so it's very much you know a parent and adult and child combination really
0: and is this aiming to educate entertain is it going to be news is it going to be light-hearted or is it a mixture that will work for somebody who's just interested in the countryside or somebody who's thinking yeah i'm part of a farming family i want to carry on in that uh, in that way when i grow up
1: it's definitely a mixture of everything i mean obviously i want to educate um i want to promote british farming i want to support our british producers um but also it's light-hearted it's fun you know i want them to enjoy what they're looking at and what they're reading you know we've got little challenges in there quizzes and things um and obviously the target is for farming children but if we can reach a wider audience and you know we have a, a career section each month to focus on some of the jobs that are available within the industry so it will be a mixture of everything that hopefully so they'll be able to find something within the magazine that they enjoy
0: and the magazine is available now yes
1: it is yes it's available now um, if you go to www.theyoungstock.com that's our website and then um, all the ordering details and all the relevant information on there if you just want to go and be nosy everything is on the website
0: and is this a, a, a printed magazine or is it an online uh, version No, nope,
1: it's definitely printed and the envelopes are addressed to the children um, i feel very passionate about the print copies and Um, That's not to say that maybe in the future we'll do um, digital online activities, but I feel very passionate about the children receiving a print copy in the post.
0: Mm, Quite a novelty these days, really, and everything seems to be going the other way.
1: I know, which is why (laughs) I really want them to have... You know, you cannot... For me personally, I'm a book reader and not a Kindle person, so I really want them to feel and touch and smell, and I want them to keep the articles that interest them, I want to keep the recipes that they want enjoy cooking. So if it's in a print format, then hopefully that will encourage them to, to keep reading.
0: Excellent. Well, that's great news. Emma Smith, uh, Youngstock Magazine, I wish you all the best for the future. hope it's a great success. Just give me that website one more time.
1: So it's www.theyoungstock.com.
0: Emma Smith, thanks for joining us on the farming programme this morning.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Sean Sparling's here now with some timely agronomy advice as usual. Morning, Sean. Not a bad idea, that magazine. Yes, morning Steve. Yes, great
3: idea, isn't it? I think we all need to get the young people out there to understand, appreciate and get interested in where their food comes from, how it's produced, why we produce it that way, the different jobs in farming and how food is so vital to us, not just as a food source but also for the UK economy and why food produced here in the UK is the best in the world. And in a similar vein, my good friend Joe Stanley, who's a mixed arable and beef farmer from down Loughraway, he's just had his first book published. It's called Farm to Fork, it'll be a cracking read and it's about the reality of life on a UK farm and how our food gets from our farms to our forks, so I really don't think that we can overstate the importance of all of us really engaging with all age groups, not just children, in order to talk about food production and modern farming and talk about it openly and uh, I'm always available if anybody wants to give me a shout you know I've missed my after dinner speaking and speaking to various groups about food production and farming over the last 12 months thanks to Covid so even though the diary is now starting to fill up again give me a shout if you think we can do something together and I'll be more than happy if I can so funny old weaker weather again frost when we didn't expect them rain that wasn't forecast miserable, cold, dull, wet but that's enough about Wardy another week down and a bit more drilling is in the book, remember if you're drilling peas you can't drill them until after the 1st of April if they've been dressed with wackhill for downy mildew that is a statutory label stipulation with wackhill but it's plenty cold enough for peas anyway out there really, soil's barely over 6.5 unless you're on the real sandy stuff Um, and just like spring oats peas do far better when they go into warm soils and when they go in they get up and they grow away and also don't procrastinate on the pre-ems in peas and beans. If it's good enough to drill it's good enough to spray, so drill it, roll it, spray it, all within two or three days if you possibly can. Just make sure the peas and beans are deep enough and well covered and just watch it if there's a forecast of heavy rain particularly if you've got clomazone in there because you will bleach them, although it is a transient effect. But it is very important to get that pre-em onto peas and beans because we have so few post-em options for herbicides and weed control in peas and beans. As far as I know, I've got no sugar beet in the ground as yet. I hadn't closed the play on Friday anyway. The damp days, complicated seedbed conditions are pretty much responsible for that. Um, getting the beet in well is far more important than ever getting it in early plenty of time yet put it in well at the end of the month and it'll do far better for you because it's only middle of march anyway after all at the moment pre on sugar beet also very important especially if you've got issues with black grass or difficult to control broadleaf weeds like knot grass or ivy leaf speedwell for example and spring cereals still being drilled across the county that will continue for a couple of weeks yet as we pick off those poorer fields. and remember that the only full rate black grass material we have available to us in spring wheat and spring barley is Avadex XL, avodex granules so a fine even firm seed bed is very important to make sure you get the coverage for that get the seed 40 mil deep and well covered as well and don't put it on on a windy day because uh, you'll get some very disappointing results if you do seed rape looking better by the day in the main out there. The buds starting to rise clear in the more forward stuff. Stem extension well underway in the rest. So if the buds are rising, you're too late for things like uh, clopyrrolid and picloram type products. Light leaf spot levels, fairly static. But monitor that and don't assume anything. You know, it's still cool enough for the light leaf spot to be slow if it is out there in your field, but a few warm days would change that, so know thine enemy stick a few leaves in a polythene bag with a bit of damp kitchen roll, pop it in a warm place, and I'm not going to say in the airing cupboard because some young chap said to me what's an airing cupboard, so if that young chap would like to ring me and ask me for another warm place for him to pop it just ring me off air and I will illuminate you. Um. So week t zeros. then, that's the topic of the week I suppose at the moment, remember grow stay 30 is a very important growth stage for you to identify for several reasons. So it's important you know how to identify it. For example, you can't put most tebuconazole-containing products on before growth stage 30. You can't put more than 1.3 litres of chlormaquot chloride on before growth stage 30. So leaf 4 is emerging when that crop is at growth stage 30. And it used to be a very, very important protectant, strategize crucial fungicide timing when we had chlorothalonil. Um, because that's what we were trying to protect with the T0 fungicide. But it is a different game now that we've lost alanol. Yellow rust has become the main focus of our actions really because that insurance quality protection of leaf 4 that's no longer the case really out there um, so also worth remembering as well early drill crops of winter wheat are likely to have far higher disease levels or more pressure from disease than the later drill crops and crops drilled after the early part of November might have leaf 3 emerging at growth stage 30 instead of leaf 4 because of the way they grow when they're sown that bit later and remember as well if you're choosing fungicides a strabilurin must never be used alone under the FRAC guidelines so if you're putting a strob on like azoxystrobin or or paraclostrobin as your t0 it has to be mixed and accompanied by a triazole such as tebuconazole so knowing that growth stage 30 is vital in how to assess it growth stage 30 is when the distance from the top of the basal node to the tip of the ear is one centimeter and if you assess that on the lead tiller most of the field will be at growth stage 30 but you have to cut the plant open to find that out driving past the field and assuming it looks like growth stage 30 or looking at the calendar date and thinking well this is when we're it last year, that's not a good idea go too early with a, a high dose of plant growth regulator alone and you can cause serious issues for the rest of the season and to the final yield, so know your varieties know which are the most at risk from rust know which are good standards, look at your drilling dates, assess them in the field and if there's a rust out there in the field and your varieties are rusty varieties, then the T0 will be a crucial fungicide, but if you've got good varieties which are better scores on rust, if they're later drilled then you know that may be unnecessary to go and put a t0 on those crops but you will only know that if you look at those varietal scores if you get out and walk the field and if you get out there and cut them open so another week down let's see what the next seven days bring
0: many thanks as ever sean sean sparling sparling agronomy services back same time next week The gates finally closed for this campaign at British Sugar's Newark factory on Thursday. To say it's not been the best is a huge understatement. We'll get one beet farmer's view in a moment. First, here's British Sugar's Tessa Seymour. Tessa, I think it's fair to say that this has been a campaign not without its problems, weather and disease and so on. How did it actually end up?
2: So, happy to report that we have finally finished at Newark. Um, so we received the final 34 loads on Thursday. We closed a few weeks later than we initially planned but with, with the wet weather it's been difficult for harvesters to get onto fields uh, and harvesting beets uh, in really bad conditions can cause more damage to the fields. So by extending our campaign it's allowed the fields to dry up a bit before harvesting. We're estimating the final um, yield of uh, around 53.2 tonnes a hectare uh, and sugar content to be about 16.3% but we'll confirm that um, once we had all the final figures in Newark
0: So that sugar content 16%, that's low isn't it?
2: It is a bit low. We've seen it low um, across all sites, I'm afraid. Um, And that's just the impact that we've seen after the um, devastating effects of the virus yellow, the cospera and weather all compounded into one.
0: Everybody's got fingers crossed for a better crop this year anyway, but we seem to be starting off a little bit better in terms of the weather so far don't we
2: we have and and we ha- you know we're having um, a colder winter this year as well um it's been it's going to be really good it's going to have a good positive effect on the aphid counts as we've already seen um so overall we are expecting much better um growing crop for this coming Season.
0: okay thanks tessa tessa seymour from british sugar thanks for joining us on the farming program again
2: thanks so much take care
0: andrew ward farms sugar beet at Lednam. andrew good morning you're less than happy not just with the crop but with british sugar themselves aren't you
4: yeah morning steve it, the, the problem we've got with all this is that the sugar beet crop is a massively risky crop for us to grow we've got changing weather patterns but the problem we've got is that british sugar aren't compensating or paying us enough for the risk of growing the crop the risk is all with us the farmer not with british sugar and this is where most of the problem lies in 1996 we were paid 37 pounds 72 for one ton of sugar beet today and depending on which contract you're on because there's two or three different contracts which means we're on different prices But in rough terms today, we're being paid £22 per tonne.
0: We know we've had a bad crop this last year. Is that figure an exception or has it just been a gradual reduction over the years since 25 years ago?
4: You are right, Steve. It it is an exception. But you are also right, it has been a gradual reduction. I know some some people that use sugar in, in food processing, when they buy raw sugar, their price goes up year on year. Yet the price we are paid from British Sugar seems to be going down year on year. And, and, and that is where, where the issue lies. Now, the cost of growing the crop, Steve, is also really interesting. Because when you look at the seed chemicals and fertilisers, application costs over the sprayer, um, harvesting and establishing the crop and all those things and overheads of the, of the farm, it's costing us over £1,500 for one hectare of sugar beet.
5: Okay,
0: so costs have gone up and prices that you get from British sugar have gone down. Interestingly, the price on the supermarket shelf got my calculator out earlier on today. Going back 25 years, it was showing an average price. This is the Office of National Statistics of 76 pence for a kilo of sugar. Today's average, 71 pence. So it's gone down a bit, but when you adjust it for inflation, it's actually only fractionally over half what it would have been 25 years ago. So it, it makes some interesting, reading. Really. So is, the, is all this being driven by supermarket prices?
4: You, you are right. It is the supermarket. But I think it's the same in whatever is produced. We're at the start of the, of the food chain. And then the markup seems to be in the middle and, and at the end. And, and the world market price, I think, of sugar in, in the 96 was about 700 pounds a tonne. And I think now it's about 440. So your figures actually correlate to that.
0: Yeah. Now, an awful lot of people I'm seeing, and I think you've kind of had this mindset as well, saying to themselves, is it really worth it? You know, I could get an awful lot better return from my land for a different kind of crop. Is that the way things are going?
4: Well, it is, because to flip this coin completely over, to go into countryside stewardship and put in winter bird food or something for the environment, we can get paid £650 a hectare every year for a five-year scheme. Now, in those years, yes, you have got some costs of establishing it, but not a lot. And that is the other side of the coin. We've got other crops we can grow as well that are, that are, are profitable. But the biggest thing is cost production. My cost production this year was just under £29 a tonne to grow a crop of beet, and we're getting £22 a tonne back.
0: Looking ahead to the next crop, uh, we're not going to have the derogation for neonics because they're saying it doesn't require it. Are we looking, therefore, do you think, I know this bit of crystal ball gazing, do you think we're looking at a better situation uh, at the end of the next crop?
4: I think we are at the moment. We had the derogation for the neonic seed treatment. Um, It was there, but the weather dictated it won't um, happen because of the trigger, because of the cold uh, weather we've had in in January. Um, It means that the aphids that carry the virus uh, at the experimental station where they're doing all the monitoring, they're saying that the aphids aren't going to come into the crop until until, uh, late May or June, um, which is going to be a lot better. And they say that there's going to be five times less the aphids around or the virus carrying aphids which again is uh is hugely beneficial to us but we shall just have to wait and see but the biggest thing as well is, is the unpredictability of the of the weather and it's mm-hmm. this that british sugar need to work with us and, and try and come to a solution and try and help us
0: all right andrew once again thanks ever so much thanks Dave. Fingers crossed for a happier conversation in a year's time. To the markets now, how have they performed over the last week? To
5: tell us, Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Good morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. Prices are declining with markets assuming an end-of-season mindset, which is premature given the potential for tight stocks in the EU and UK and one-third of the season still to go. Better rains in the US plains following a prolonged dry spell, rain in Argentina, which is probably too late to preserve much of the damage, and a drier pattern in Brazil, which should allow their second maize crop to be drilled, albeit two weeks too late and past the optimum date, into the hottest time of year for pollination. These were all cited as negative factors, as better weather in Europe and the Black Sea, which had analysts talking up crop prospects, which is also dangerous at this early stage. Another negative factor was the rumour that Russian export taxes would be removed, which appears to have been scotched by the Russian Exporters Association, who opined that the Russian government's primary objective was to pressure domestic prices and that it was possible that the tax would stay in place until after the elections and maybe until the end of the calendar year. This makes it virtually impossible to make decisions about making forward sales without knowing what the tax will be in a period when the Black Sea traditionally dominate the world export market. China made their return this week with the USDA announcing purchases of 2.3 million metric tonnes for 2020-21 shipment under their daily reporting system, with rumours of more to come. This will give the USDA something to chew over when they produce their next monthly report. They declared the US maize sales to China stand at 21 million with an additional 6 million to an unknown category, some of which could also be China. USDA total Chinese imports are currently forecast at 21 million metric tonnes, which is clearly too low, given the Chinese have reportedly bought at least 6-7 to million from other origins. It would also require an increase in US maize exports, which not only tightens the old crop stocks, but leaves no room for any new crop acreage or weather issues. Talk of a resurgence of swine flu in China has also weighed on sentiment, although comments appear to be notionally rather than statistical. And the fact that this week's purchases are for April and May shipment does not point to a sharp drop in demand. Surely, if they were building stocks, they would buy new crop at a discount. So moving on to barley this week... Mixed weather pours spring plantings across the UK as the French plantings draw to a close and the Danes make a slow start. As rain stopped progress in its tracks last week, a dry few days have seen some parts make another start as conditions allow. Feeling is at least 50% in England is drilled, which now could be around the 90-100% to 100% mark after a good week or 10 days of drilling. Old crop markets remain subdued with a lot of talk about the move to reopening pub gardens from the 12th of April. For now, forecasts for consumers suggest that this is factored in currently, so unlikely to dramatically change the course for the remainder of the old crop season. Oilseed rape, a volatile week which has seen values trade in a £14 range at the time of writing. Week on week, comparisons see no change in the UK values, however, the market had traded higher earlier in the week before the weaker veg oil and crude oil markets, along with more favorable weather, filtered back through to the values. More favourable weather in South America has also been touted as a reason that markets took a retreat from the recent highs, although there remains some disagreement as to whether this will be beneficial in the production positive or just slow down the deterioration of the production numbers. Closer to home, the UK domestic markets continue to see some buyer interest, with small volumes continuing to trade for the deferred position. However, physical availability of seed remains the challenge. Latest import data reflects 436,000 tonnes of arrival to the end of January into the UK, which is a significant volume which is still required to keep the supply and demand. Moving forward to prices this week, wheat for March is 195 to 197, May 200 to 202. Moving forward to new crop August off the combine 158 to 160, and November 163 to 165. Million wheat premiums are in short supply, so please speak to your open field farm business manager. Feed barley for March 153 to 155, May 157 to 159, moving forward to August new crop 137 to 139, and November 143 to 145. Malting barley premiums are currently £12 for a 185 on old crop. Oil seed rate. March 425 to 430. May 430 to 435. New crop July August off the combine 355 to 360. And November 365 to 370. Thanks, Kit. The farming programme. Five day
0: forecast. A much drier, calmer week, certainly for the first half, until the high pressure fades away around Wednesday. Then we'll see stronger winds and showers. Dry today with a light northerly and highs of 10 celsius, down to 3 overnight. Monday sees the breeze stay in single figures, mostly from the west and mostly dry with some sunny spells, highs of around 12 degrees. The wind backs slightly to southwesterly on Tuesday, picking up to around 15 miles per hour in the afternoon. Cloudy but stay mostly dry with highs around 10 celsius. Light rain and light winds, not getting into double figures on Wednesday. Cloudy all day with a daytime high of 12 degrees. For the end of the week, the wind gains strength and there's more rain likely, but mixed with a little sunshine, getting cooler by Friday with temperatures back into single figures. Right, that's it for this week's farming programme. If you'd like to get in touch, you can tweet at Farming Show or email farming at linksfm.co.uk. I'm Steve Orchard, back same time next week when we'll look at farming apprenticeships and the seasonal labour situation. Until then, have a safe, productive and happy farming week.